Welcome to the vodcast. There's been a lot of opinions stated about the Restrict Act. So far, every opinion I've heard stated by members of the public has been wild-ass nonsense. By members of the public, I mean not only the average guy or gal who may comment about the act on social media, but also social media influencers. In fact, a lot of the nonsense I hear the average guy or gal saying can be traced back to social media influencers who have a ton of followers. In my opinion, people with hundreds of thousands or millions of followers should be a lot more responsible about what they say. But of course, that's not how the social media influencer business works, is it? To be a highly successful social media influencer, one must pander to the confirmation bias of the audience and then tell them things that make them experience strong emotions. That's where the money is. Whether what the influencer says is factual isn't even part of the formula. That dynamic has rarely been as apparent as it is concerning what's being said about the Restrict Act. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. I've long said American high schoolers need at least one semester, if not more, of something we might call familiarization with law. The ridiculous claims I've seen about the Restrict Act demonstrate, yet again, that a lack of knowledge concerning how the law works results in people saying ignorant things while thinking they sound brilliant. In the course of this presentation, you'll learn something about how laws are structured how they're written. But if you really want to get an education on the way laws are written, what they actually mean, and how they really work, read my book, Income Tax Shattering the Myths. It is a master class on how the law actually works and the mechanisms legislative draftsmen use to make sure the law means one thing, but you think it means another. I assure you that once you read Income Tax Shattering the Myths, no legal shenanigans by politicians will ever fool you again. What is the Restrict Act? That name is short for the full-length title of the bill, which is Restricting the Emergence of Security Threats that Risk Information and Communications Technology Act. The next thing you should know is that this is the bill for which Congress was attempting to gin up public support by its recent committee hearing on TikTok. I recently did a video on that hearing and the claims made by congresspersons during the hearing. I'll put a link to that down in the show notes. Before I get into the meat of this discussion, I want you to know I take no position for or against the Restrict Act in this presentation. This presentation is for one purpose and one purpose only. The purpose is to put to rest the falsehoods I see all over social media concerning what the bill is and what it does. Do you want to support the bill? Okay. Do you want to oppose the bill? Okay. But how can you do either responsibly if you believe a bunch of moronic crap about it on social media? Isn't it better to make your decision based on facts, not ridiculous nonsense? There is a significant divide between what the Restrict Act does and what its critics say it does. Here are some of the claims I've heard about the Restrict Act. It's the most egregious expansion of federal authority since the Patriot Act. It's Patriot Act 2.0. That one seems to be the favorite of ultra-crepidarians. If passed, it will end free speech in America. And... Its wording is so vague it can be applied to almost anyone for anything they do on the internet. That last one, that its wording is so vague it can be applied to virtually anything, is the foundation of every other criticism of the bill, so that's what we'll be looking at today. Let me give you an example of the vagueness those folks claim exists. 
Section two is the definition section. Paragraph three defines a covered holding and reads as follows. Covered holding means regardless of how or when such holding was or will be obtained or otherwise come to have been held, a controlling holding held directly or indirectly in an ICTS covered holding entity by, parenthesis I, a foreign adversary, double I, an entity subject to the jurisdiction of or organized under the laws of a foreign adversary, or triple I, an entity owned, directed, or controlled by an entity described in paragraphs I and double I, includes any other holding, the structure of which is designed or intended to evade or circumvent the application of this act, subject to regulations prescribed by the Secretary. Close quote. Critics of the act assert that that last sentence wherein it states includes any other holding expands the meaning beyond foreign holdings to any holding, including domestic companies. This is a perfect example of why it is so important to understand the rules by which laws are written and thus how they are to be interpreted by the courts. The practice is known as the rules of statutory construction. If one does not know or understand the rules of statutory construction, one will never be able to properly discern the meaning or boundaries of various laws. Many of the rules of construction are in the form of what are called legal maxims. Legal maxims are phrases that succinctly express a principle of law. One of those maxims is adjustum generis. The reason I bring that up is adjustum generis controls the meaning of that last sentence of the definition that its critics claim allows unconstrained expansion. Here is the meaning of adjustum generis. Quote, where a law lists specific classes of persons or things and then refers to them in general, the general statement only applies to the same kind of persons or things specifically listed. Close quote. Here's an example of a justum generis right out of the law dictionary. If a law refers to automobiles, trucks, tractors, motorcycles, and other motor-powered vehicles, the phrase other motor-powered vehicles would not include airplanes since the listed items are land-based transportation. Close quote. Got it? So when we apply a justum generis to the definition of covered holdings, in the final sentence, the phrase any other holding, being general language, is limited to the class established by the listed items. And the listed items are holdings owned by foreign entities or controlled by foreign governments. In other words, when you read the phrase any other holdings, which is general language, it means any other holding that fits within the established class. Let me give you another example of the same maxim used in another statute, this one in tax law. Here's the definition of employee for the purpose of payroll withholding. It can be found at 26 U.S.C. 3401C, and it reads, quote, For the purpose of this chapter, the term employee includes an officer, employee, or elected official of the United States, a state, or any political subdivision thereof, or the District of Columbia, or any agency or instrumentality of any one or more of the foregoing, <laughs> close quote. The next sentence is general language. So before we consider the general statement, let's make sure we know the class established by the listed items. Let's hear the list again. An officer, employee, or elected official of the United States, a state, or any political subdivision thereof, or the District of Columbia, or any agency or instrumentality of any one or more of the foregoing, close quote. Clearly, the class established is people who work for government entities. I emphasize the word 
instrumentality because it's relevant to the general statement. Before I read you the general statement, what is an instrumentality as that word is used by government? Here is the definition used by the U.S. government. An instrumentality performs government functions, but does not have the full power of a government, such as police authority, taxation, and eminent domain. Close quote. Federal instrumentalities are generally government-owned corporations created by Congress to perform a government function. Examples of federal instrumentalities are the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Export-Import Bank of the United States, the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation, and the Government National Mortgage Association. With that understanding under your belt, and recognizing that the class established by the listed items is people who work for various government entities, it's time to read the general statement that appears after the listed item. That statement is, the term employee also includes an officer of a corporation, close quote. So, if we apply a jusdom generis to that sentence, as we must to determine the proper meaning of its general language, corporation means a government instrumentality. Whether we're talking about the Restrict Act or the tax code, you can see how important a jusdom generis is in determining a statute's true meaning. More importantly, you can see how those who are unaware of a jusdom generis can come up with an inaccurate interpretation of what a statute means, as have a whole lot of social media influencers. Before I continue, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the channel, like this video, and share the hell out of it. If you haven't signed up on Rumble yet, consider doing so. YouTube censors truth while promoting government disinformation. I'm sure you don't want to be a part of that. So Rumble is a dedicated free speech platform. Now, back to the Restrict Act. A number of influencers and other expositors have used the fact that the Restrict Act mentions the Patriot Act to assert that the Restrict Act is no different than the Patriot Act. Not only are they flat out wrong, but again, it's the result of commenting on law without knowing how the law operates. The Restrict Act mentions the Patriot Act once when defining critical infrastructure and reads, quote, the term critical infrastructure has the meaning given to the term in section 1016E of the U.S. Patriot Act, close quote. We can find Section 1016E of the Patriot Act codified to Title 42 of the United States Code, Section 5195CE, which reads, quote, In this section, the term critical infrastructure means systems and assets, whether physical or virtual, so vital to the United States that the incapacity or destruction of such systems and assets would have a debilitating impact on security, national economic security, national public health or safety, or any combination of those matters, close quote. Why would the Restrict Act reference the definition in the Patriot Act rather than providing its own definition? Proposed legislation citing a definition in existing law is a very common practice, but people who know nothing about law conjure up all sorts of nefarious explanations for it. Why is the practice commonplace? Because with the number of laws that exist in this country, along with new laws constantly being proposed, if every law wrote its own definition for things already defined elsewhere, over time you'd end up with 10 or 20 or 30 or more different definitions describing the same thing. How confusing would that make the law? In order to provide continuity in the law, proposed legislation will integrate existing definitions whenever possible. Sometimes Congress wants the same word defined differently in different areas of law in order to tailor the definitions to achieve a specific goal in a particular statute. 
Remember a moment ago, you learned that employee for the purpose of payroll withholding is defined as people who work for various government entities? Is that the only definition of employee in income tax law? Not even close. There are a number of different definitions of employee throughout income tax law. I'll mention just one so you can see the difference. Section 7701A20 defines employee as a full-time life insurance salesman. Obviously, that's worlds apart from the definition provided for payroll withholding. So, does using a statutory definition already in existence, in this case from the Patriot Act, mean the new legislation is in any way similar to the Patriot Act? No, not at all. One thing I noticed that drama queen influencers and expositors never discuss is the language that establishes clear guardrails for the application of the act. That language is found in Section 3 and reads as follows, quote, the secretary, in consultation with relevant executive department and agencies' heads, is authorized to and shall take action to identify, deter, disrupt, prevent, prohibit, investigate, or otherwise mitigate, including by negotiating, entering into, or imposing and enforcing any mitigation measure to address any risk arising from any covered transaction by any person or with respect to any property subject to the jurisdiction of the United States that the secretary determines poses an undue or unacceptable risk of sabotage or subversion of the design, integrity, manufacturing, production, distribution, installation, operation, or maintenance of information and communication technology products and services in the United States, catastrophic effects on the security or resilience of critical infrastructure or digital economy of the United States, interfering in or altering the results or reported results of federal elections as determined in coordination with the Attorney General, the Director of National Intelligence, and the Secretary of the Treasury and Federal Election Commission, or coercive or criminal activities by a foreign adversary that are designed to undermine the democratic process and institutions or steer policy and regulatory decisions in favor of the strategic objectives of a foreign adversary to the detriment of the national security of the United States, determined in coordination with the Attorney General, the Director of National Intelligence, and the Secretary of the Treasury and Federal Election Commission, or otherwise poses an undue or unacceptable risk to the national security of the United States or the safety of United States persons. Whew! Close quote. The last part of that sentence that says or otherwise poses an undue, unacceptable risk to the national security of the United States or the safety of United States persons, is another part uneducated people claim expands the act's reach to virtually anyone, including U.S. citizens and U.S. companies. And that's not factual. <laughs> if we go back to the opening paragraph, it says the purpose of the act is to mitigate, quote, any risk arising from any covered transaction. What is a covered transaction? It's a transaction engaged in by a covered holding, the definition of which we discussed earlier. In other words, a covered transaction is a transaction engaged in by a foreign adversary or an entity subject to the jurisdiction of or organized under the laws of a foreign adversary or any entity owned, directed, or controlled by either of the foregoing. Accordingly, every word of Section 3 pertains exclusively to the actions of a foreign adversary or an entity subject to the jurisdiction of or organized under the laws of a foreign adversary or an entity owned, directed, or controlled by either of the foregoing. The act does not apply to U.S. citizens or U.S. companies at all. In fact, the act doesn't even target foreign entities or foreign persons. 
unless or until the Secretary of the Commerce determines a foreign person or a company is a foreign adversary, which means the Secretary determined in consultation with other relative executive branch officials that a foreign person or entity has, quote, engaged in a long-term pattern of serious instances of conduct significantly adverse to the national security of the United States or the security and safety of United States persons, close quote. I hope it's obvious to you at this point that the kooky claims about the Restrict Act made by influencers and others on social media are not remotely factual. Has this presentation been idiosyncratic and perhaps tedious? Welcome to the law. Today I've covered only a couple of the mechanisms within the rules of statutory construction. There are many, many more. Okay, show of hands. How many of you want to take the time out of your busy life to study the rules of statutory construction so that you know every mechanism, every ploy politicians use when crafting laws? Right. Close to no one. And guess what? That's why the vast majority of Americans don't really know what's going on in this country. People like to think they know what's going on, but unless you understand exactly what those assholes in D.C. are passing into law, you only see the circus the politicians put on for you. All that talk at the committee hearing about banning TikTok? Guess what? Congress has no interest in banning TikTok. The hearing was a circus big top act to gin up public support for the Restrict Act. Which do you choose to focus on? The circus acts Congress puts on, which the media shows you, or what Congress is really doing. If you want to know what Congress is really doing, you need to be able to understand the true meaning of the laws Congress passes. As you've learned today, there is a significant difference between the circus acts put on by Congress and social media influencers and what a law actually means. Keeping you focused on the circus act is how they manipulate you for the purpose of manufacturing consent. In other words, it's how they play you, and you will continue getting played until you know how to read and understand law properly, a glimpse of which you've had today. Income Tax Shadow the Mist was not written to provide you with the legal tricks and gimmicks government uses to ensure you don't know the true meaning of laws. However, because income tax statutes were intentionally written to obfuscate the truth and confuse the American people using virtually every legal trick and gimmick in the book, I educate the reader on those tricks and gimmicks. In other words, so readers can understand the income tax scam the government has pulled, they had to be able to see, with their own eyes, the tricks and gimmicks used when writing statutes with the intent of obfuscating. The good news is pretty much every legal trick and gimmick used to keep you from understanding the proper meaning of statutes is laid out and explained in Income Tax Shattering the Mist. In other words, whether you want to learn the truth about the government's income tax scam or simply want a masterclass concerning how government employs these legal tricks and gimmicks to fool the American people, you will find Income Tax Shattering the Mist an invaluable resource. You can get your copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist by going to drreality.news, drreality.news. I'll put the link in the show notes. While you're there, take a look at body signs. There is a commonality between law and physiology in that both use language with which the public is often unfamiliar. And sadly, just as with law, the unique language of science can be used to obfuscate and confuse. Body science details the exact and specific reasons, with a long list of particulars, the American people are the most ill society in all of human history. Think about that. 
with all of America's science and technological prowess, instead of being the healthiest people on the planet, Americans are the sickest. Do you think that's just happenstance? It's not at all. If you'd like to find out the truth about America's decline into being the most diseased people in history and how to turn that around for you and the people you love, you only need to read one book, Body Science. Also, by purchasing Income Tax, Shattering the Mess, and or Body Science, you help me to continue to be here for you with these thought-provoking presentations. Please share this podcast. Thanks for being here. Take care.